Hey, everybody. Welcome in to this week's edition of Future Brew, Michigan football and basketball recruit podcast here on maizeandbrew.com. My name is Vaughn Lozon. Joining me today, the band is back together once again. I've got John Simmons, our Michigan football recruiting writer here at maizeandbrew.com, and Stephen Ossentoski, our video do-it-all guy. How are we doing, boys? Doing well, doing well. How's it going for you? You know, I'm doing okay, considering uh, all of the negativity with Michigan football and basketball recruiting. Um, but I'm, I am good otherwise. John, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, okay, I guess, you know, if you <laughs> hope there's a season. Yeah, um, you know. It's a crazy day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just been a whirlwind, honestly. I'm just trying to wrap the head around it. What's going to happen? It's been crazy. Yeah, we're, we're recording here on Monday, and it's just – Stuff is just getting thrown around like no other with whether there's going to be a football season or not. Obviously, the MAC already called it quits, and you would imagine that uh, other conferences will probably follow. But we'll get to that a little bit later. I want to start the show today by talking about offensive line recruiting. It's been a big topic in this cycle for Michigan football, the 2021 cycle. Rocco Spindler, a uh, top 50 recruit in the entire class committed over the weekend to Notre Dame. Uh, it, it had seemed like it was a Michigan Notre Dame battle from the start. And that's pretty much what it evolved to. He had Ohio state, LSU and Penn state also on the table, but ultimately all of the noise was kind of being thrown at Michigan and Notre Dame. So uh, he ends up committing to the fighting Irish Michigan now has to look elsewhere to complete its 2021 offensive line recruiting class. And they'll probably look no further than Drew Kendall, who is a top 150 player overall, a uh, very highly regarded interior offensive lineman uh, from Don Brown territory, Massachusetts. So uh, let's, let's start with Rocco though. And Steven, I'll start with you because you were uh, very adamant before we went on here that we, we got to hit Rocco here. What, what do you think happened here uh, with Michigan and Notre Dame? There was some backstory with, with his grandfather. His dying uh, wish for Rocco was to pretty much go to Notre Dame, it sounded like. And uh, he cites his relationship with their offensive line coach as uh, uh, pretty much one of the best ones that he had. But uh, a pretty tough loss here for Michigan, nonetheless, even though they still have a, a top 150 player kind of waiting in the wings. Yeah, I think it's a little overblown, the reaction that I've seen from, uh, you know, everywhere you look. Um, try to stay away from Twitter in, in times like these, but it's hard to deny the, the disappointment you see throughout but it's a case where, yes, you, you hate to see a top 100 offensive lineman leave the state of Michigan. Like you brought up, though, his grandfather uh, passed away shortly after Spindler had uh, promised that he was going to Notre Dame. That's just a thing that's an intangible that's really hard to quantify, you know, how important that is in a recruiting pitch or not even a recruiting pitch, but just in, in the overall commitment. And how does Michigan really make that ground up? You know, it's just, it, it's hard to, it, it's hard to put into sense. You know, it's not like, well, his relationship was just better with the Notre Dame or he saw a better death chart. Like this is a very unique situation. So it doesn't 
hold the same weight as, you know, Michigan lost a straight up battle to Notre Dame. There were other factors there that are harder to quantify. So it helps me stomach it a little bit more where it's like, yeah, you know, I still think he's an NFL guy and you never want to see those guys leave. But at the end of the day, what do you do with that? You know, you can't really recruit against that. You don't want to recruit against that. And it's something that's, uh, that's a bummer. But like you said, Michigan has a decent, decent backup plan here. And um, it puts a little more importance there, but people are, are seemingly forgetting that Michigan already has three uh, offensive line commits in the top two, four, seven right now, including two interior guys, which uh, Spindler was obviously looking to be an offensive guard. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. You never want to lose those guys out of state, especially to Notre Dame. I don't really like Notre Dame, but um, you know, the, it's a unique situation. So it's, it's hard to be upset at the Michigan staff. It feels less like a miss and more like a, uh, a win for Notre Dame um, with some, uh, some unique circumstances that help them along the way. And you get these every single cycle too. You'll get some players that Michigan will end up recruiting right up until the very end. And then the very thing that uh, really the kid ends up choosing a different school just because of some circumstance that is out of their hands. It happens every cycle and it goes for Michigan as well. Uh, unfortunately, this instance did not go in Michigan's favor because Rocco Spindler, in my opinion, at least is pretty much already college ready at six, four and a half, three fifteen. You look at Drew Kendall and he's definitely not college ready body wise. He's six, four, two fifty-five. So he's going to have to do a lot to build up his frame before he even uh, gets any snaps uh, uh, on offense. He'll probably take a red shirt wherever he ends up going at, at the, at the bare minimum. So John, I want to bring you in too. And let's just talk about Drew Kendall here for a sec, because you flip on the tape and you see a lot of good things out of him. Uh, but compared to Rocco, obviously, uh, he's a bit more slender. He, he's going to have to be patient with, uh, with, with the college nutrition program and with the strength and conditioning program, wherever he ends up going. Um, but in the sense that, let's just say Michigan ends up getting him. I said this on the podcast last week with uh, Bryce Marich. Uh, this isn't a consolation prize by any means. I, I think Drew Kendall is a really good talent. I just think he needs to take a little bit more time refining the, the smaller things. And uh, his ceiling is, uh, is sky high, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, you look at the rankings for the two. Spindler's, you know, top 50. Kendall's top 125. I think they have about the same ceiling. Like, they they're both have really great potential. They got the awesome bloodlines. Both their dads played the NFL, but I think the this, the discrepancy in the rankings is it's going to take Kendall a little longer to get there. It's a little more projection on um, how he can fill out his body to reach the point where, as you know, Spindler's already like 315. He's pretty much uh, ready to start uh, at a college program, you know, from day one if he really put in the work. So I think it's just more of uh, you're going to have to trust the strength and conditioning staff at whatever school Kendall ends up choosing to get him to develop him to that point where he can kind of unlock his potential even more and, uh, you know, reach the, the high ceiling that I think he has and a uh, ceiling that I think matches Spindler's. Yeah. You mentioned the bloodlines. Uh, his father, Pete Kendall, uh, actually played offensive guard as well in college at uh, Boston college. And he was a first round pick in the NFL draft playing in the NFL for uh, well over a decade. So, you would imagine that Boston College is probably the one 
or one of the schools holding Kendall back from committing right now? Uh, I know there were some jokes being thrown around that right when Rocco drops his commitment is when Drew Kendall was going to drop his as well for Michigan, but obviously that didn't happen. He's still uncommitted. Uh, Boston College probably presenting a big threat there. I know he really likes Duke a lot too, and he's still waiting, I believe, on uh, everything for Stanford. Uh, So those are probably uh, the main competitors there for Drew Kendall. But uh, good news for Michigan because uh, the Wolverines did receive a crystal ball today, Monday, if in favor uh, of Drew Kendall to choose Michigan from Clint Brewster. He gave him a 7 out of 10 on the confidence scale. Uh, so that is pretty good uh, news for Ed Warner and all of them. So, again, yeah, not not really much of a consolation prize here. Uh, Steven, I don't know if you've had the chance to flip on his tape or not, but uh, if you have, um, well, what do you like out of Drew Kendall? Obviously, he, I, in my opinion, I don't think he's as talented right now as Rocco is, but in the future, he could be just as talented as Rocco. Yeah, he definitely could be. Um, and the good thing is he does have a frame that uh, is really easy to see additional weight on, weight at. Um, plays really physical, nasty streak as well, which is good. Um, his lower body has a, a lot of the power that you see. So any weight gains will primarily be upper body, but that's kind of where uh, I like to see these prospects early on where they have the bend, they have the lower body figured it out. Uh, has the athleticism to pull really well. Um, so he has all the things that you want to see from a technique st- standpoint. Um, he, you know, he just has to work on that upper body strength and flexibility overall. Um, his hand placement can be a little inconsistent, but again, that's that's like the least of my concerns when it comes to technique, where if you're, you know, standing straight up, not getting proper Leverage, that's a thing that's harder to teach, where hand placement is definitely one of the easier things early on in a, an offensive lineman that you can get there. So I was – you mentioned Clint Brewster of 24-7 with his – or 24-7 sports, yeah, with a crystal ball. Um, that's That was good to see because I've been kind of concerned with, uh, with the lack of crystal balls recently because before that, um, I think it was May that was the last crystal ball where he had a big flurry in April and May of this year and then – yeah. kind of radio silence and this last one helps helps uh see it more of you know a, a true Michigan lead where before it was like well maybe Michigan is just leading for now and it's kind of a wait and see so it's good to see that people are still confident now with that because like you're saying academics it seems to be playing a huge role for him you mentioned Duke Stanford you got a ton of high academic offers there and um Hoping Michigan's business school, obviously Ross, uh, is a big lure to a ton of uh, recruits and students alike. So, so yeah, um, I, you know I like everything he brings and getting a really smart guy on the interior of your line, either at the center or guard, is huge. That's one of my favorite things about offensive line. If they're a heady guy, so he fits that mold. And if the last thing you got to do is throw some weight on him, then uh, then it's a it's a good thing for me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. a big, big fan of his game. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it, yeah, like like you said, if if that's the one thing holding him back right now, it's completely fine because he's not expected to come in uh, to Michigan. If he commits to Michigan, he's not expected to come in and start right away. There's a ton of guys ahead of him. The depth chart 
is uh, really impressive with what Ed Warner's been able to do. In comparison, though, if you look at Ryan Hayes, for example, in the 2018 class when he was committed, uh, he was 6'7", 252. So you expected him to put on a ton of weight. And as of today, mgoblue.com has him at 302, and he's expected to take over at left tackle this year. So give him a year or two, and uh, if Kendall ends up committing to U of M, uh, things will even itself out, and you would imagine that he would be uh, in line to at least compete at uh, left guard or right guard his uh, redshirt freshman or redshirt sophomore year. So uh, I want to move on, though, to uh, another topic here with – Kind of, we, we kind of hit on it a, a bit ago right at the beginning of the show, but with everything going on in, in today's world with COVID, there's a lot of uncertainty, not only just around the NFL season, but around college football as well. And with college, you can't really do a whole lot to control it, like how the NBA and NHL have done with their bubble situations. And they've done a really good job being able to hold everybody in that bubble uh, minus a couple uh, chicken wing runs at the uh, local strip joint for the uh, NBA. But nonetheless, uh, you can't really do that much for college because um, obviously you got these kids uh, going out to college to learn. And uh, I know that especially at the University of Michigan, they don't really have great online options for these kids. At, at programs like Ohio State, they definitely do. Uh, but at U of M, they just they they just don't. Um, so it, it's going to create a a big problem here um, for college football if it's going to be played this fall. I personally don't think college football is going to be played this fall. I think at the very minimum, it would probably get moved to the spring. I don't know if you guys think that personally or not. But as far as recruiting goes with all of this, it's just, it would be absolutely huge if these kids can't get on campus. You just go down the list of guys that Michigan is trying to get on campus uh, this fall, and a lot of these guys are their top targets. You, you look at Thomas Fedone, the uh, four-star tight end from Iowa. You need to get him on campus to have a chance to uh, eventually get a commitment. Otherwise, it looks like it's probably going to be a school like Nebraska or LSU. Those are probably the two uh, big competitors standing in Michigan's way for him. You look at a guy like Sierra Wright, another four-star. He's a cornerback. He's from LA. He has not been on campus yet. If, if uh, college football gets canceled, obviously these kids aren't going to be able to travel, and they're not going to be able to see games up close. They're not going to be able to see the program and the coaches up close. So uh, as far as recruiting goes, this could have a huge impact on the way that the 2021 class ends, but also the way that uh, 2022 kind of begins. Uh, but we'll stick with 2021 for now with this conversation here. And needless to say, uh, there is this thing now called early signing day where these kids end up signing their signature and fax it on over to their program in December. In my opinion, I think a lot of kids are going to be holding off until February. I don't know what you guys think, but I want to get your opinions. John, I'll start with you. What do you think about all of this, the recruiting implications of everything uh, with COVID and uh, the possibilities of college football not taking place this fall? Yeah, I think it's going to go a bit of both ways for uh, Michigan here. It's going to definitely hurt them with guys that are uh, not from you know the Midwest area 
like you said, Sarah, right? If he's not able to get to Michigan, there's not really a chance of Michigan landing him. But uh, it could also work in the case of a guy like Rayshon Benny, who has a lot of schools he's interested in, but has only really visited Michigan State, Michigan, and Penn State. So uh, if he can't go to a place like Kentucky or, you know, Arkansas, where uh, that he's really interested in, then I think that's even more of a chance that Michigan signs him. But they're, they're, there's just not as many guys like that in close to Michigan than there are uh, in the rest of the country, obviously. So I think it's going to be more of a net uh, negative, especially at this point in the cycle when there's uh, already so many kids locked up to, to other schools. Um, I, w- I w- it would make sense for the uh, signing day to be pushed back, I think, uh, just because, I mean, they could probably still keep the, the early signing period date uh, for kids who, who want it, but uh, pushing it back to the second one to a time where maybe they can make uh, uh, visits in the spring or they open up more of a visit period. Because I know what January is usually a, a dead period where you can't have contact with the, the coaches if they right. allow kids to, you know, travel during that time and uh, go see schools if uh, the numbers are better by then, then I think that would be a smart move to take. But as we've seen with the, how the NCAA has handled all of this so far, I don't have that much faith that uh, they could do something that makes sense like that. So I guess we'll have to see. I don't think so either. I don't think there's any chance that any of that would work at all. Uh, Steven, what do you think about all of this going on right now? Yeah, the main thing I'm thinking about is obviously there's been some players that have decided to sit out a, a ton of top tier uh, Big Ten talent has already announced this, but and that's just going to come with the territory. If you're having a spring season, how do you expect guys to properly prepare for the NFL draft? And it adds a, a lot of risk that you see people sitting out bowl games. This is just an extension of that. You're, you're that much closer to the NFL draft. And how does it work for players that are – questionable heading into the season you know maybe it's their final year maybe they're rising juniors they don't know where their draft stock is and and then they have to make that decision either like during the season or right around that time so how it plays out with the scheduling in coordination with the NFL draft is another complication there so that'll be crazy to see if players like sit out in the middle of the season as their draft stock rises it's just going to be really weird and there's so many moving parts there And then I'm thinking of how are these coaches really going to recruit throughout the season? Because say it moves right now from the fall to the spring, obviously they still have to prep for the season and they've, they've done a ton of preseason prep as well, but that's just going to have to continue. And it's the coordination of, of how they're going to do both at the same time. And then you're supposed to be finishing up your, your recruiting class for 2021 as you're doing the season and just the number crunching of, you know, everything I previously said of who's leaving, who's staying, who's skipping the season and everything like that. It's just going to be a mess. So, and I just, there's so many moving parts that you need more bodies for that, that tight schedule that you're putting there. And obviously the financial hit that uh, it's already taken a toll on a lot of programs, you know, the Mac depend on their non-conference. So the, the manpower that you need to be able to handle the shortened timeline that recruiting will have as a result of this potential move, you don't have the financials to, to bridge that gap. So you're going to see a lot less athletes out of high school that really rely on that senior year to get some good film that really propels them into those later offers for, you know, smaller schools or even like Michigan yeah. pulling, pulling guys late in the cycle. 
you're not going to see that as much. It's going to be a lot of previous relationships. A lot of those kids who were able to visit during their sophomore or junior seasons, those are the guys who will be signing because there's just not the manpower and not the, uh, the season for a lot of the high schoolers where they're, you know, their final seasons are being cut short or canceled altogether. They're just not going to have that opportunity to uh, get signed with a program. So, I mean, it's sad, but I just, I don't see a way for a spring season to happen with the expectation of a fall 2021 season to also happen. So there's too many hurdles and they're still trying to figure out, you know, the immediate, the right now, what do we do that planning for the spring? It's just not enough time for, for me to see it. So I feel like I'm being the negative Nancy, but uh, that's just, that's <laughs> it, just it, what it's I'm the seeing. Facts, man. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just the facts and, and nothing about all of this is positive at all. So as much as you want to put a positive spin onto it, it's real tough to do that. But you bring up a real good point about these kids, if they're going to opt out of the season, which they have every right to do so if they wish, are they going to just give college, you know, the uh, goodbye wave and say, you know what, I'm going to go to the NFL. Uh, you see Rashad Bateman, the receiver over at Minnesota, he has opted out of the college football season, but he hasn't declared for the NFL draft yet. Now uh, over in Penn state, Micah Parsons, a, a former five-star, he's a linebacker for them. He opted out of the season and there's a report now that he is expected to sign with an agency uh, that signs NFL agents. So obviously it, it looks like his time in college is done. Um, so yeah, it, you bring up a real good point about that. It is going to be a huge headache to figure out all the numbers, see who's going to stay, see who's going to go, see if you're going to have the spots open for these kids, even just in this incoming uh, 2020 class. I, I think that it could be uh, presenting a challenge to uh, these uh, these programs because you see you take I don't know maybe a guy like Cam Grown who if he had a real good season uh, this year maybe he would decide to go to the NFL but now it, it, it's kind of up in the air because he would be taking a huge risk just him personally if uh, if he wanted to go to the NFL just because he I mean he had a good season last year don't get me wrong but he does he doesn't have the uh, the longevity that some of these other guys do like Micah Parsons, like Rashad Bateman. So uh, it would be a real big risk there, but yeah, the number crunch and everything, it's going to be a huge problem. So I, uh, I just hope and pray that we can have a college football season, not only just for the recruiting implications and all that, but just because God damn it, I love college football. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, all I've got uh, on that, did you guys have any other thoughts about recruiting in regards to this whole pandemic going on right now? Obviously, it's a huge problem in every single way, but, uh, you know, this this whole season cancellation potential is, is a real big monkey wrench in all of it. Yeah, I miss writing visitor lists. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I miss editing your visitor list, John. Yeah. I miss editing and <laughs> posting them. Oh man, maybe sometime soon, but uh, until then, yeah, it's it's going to be a long time probably. But you know, we'll just we'll 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 keep on keeping on. We'll we'll keep hoping, and maybe good news will come our way at some point. But uh, until then, I don't mean to end on such a negative note. But uh, that is all the time we got for today. 
And uh, if you've made it this far in this negative podcast, we appreciate you listening all the way through. Steven, where are you at on Twitter, buddy? You can find me at Steven Toski. John, how about you, my friend? At Simmons underscore John. And you can follow me on Twitter at Vaughn underscore Lozon. Give Maze and Brew a like and follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much every social media that you could think of. We're probably there. And uh, be sure to rate and subscribe to all of the podcasts here on the SP Nation Maze and Brew Podcast Network. Again, I thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, better news for you next week. Until then, they are Stephen and John. I am Vaughn. We will talk to you next time. Go Blue.